when I was a little past 40 years old, Melvin Curry was in town for a Bible study, and he had been to Ethiopia in 1999, and he said he was in his 70s, and all the men who were with him were in their 70s, and he said, we need younger men to go to Ethiopia. So he asked me if I would go, and I, I did, and this church supported me in doing that, and 20 more times I went to Ethiopia, and we had, we've had a great work, and so I came to the point in my life, especially because I had Parkinson's disease, that I said, we need younger men to go. <laughs> so I asked Daniel, my son-in-law, and Jordan, Vicky's son, and Randy and Ryan Harrison, and by the way, Ryan's family's here tonight also. So we have representatives of everybody who's there. He asked Ryan to go, and so those men have taken up the torch and Daniel has been a couple of weeks, and now he's back, and he's going to give us a report on what he's done. So I'm thankful to God, and I'm thankful to him, and I'll let you tell us about it. How about that? Let me start by saying it is a humbling position that I find myself in. Um, you know, having grown up here at Castleberry, I know many of you know me, and, and we, we kind of over the years have seen David go and, and be part of this work. Uh, we've been encouraged by the work and, and interested in it, and so to be asked to be a part of this work is, is very humbling. In fact, um, for a number of years, I really wanted to go, and you know, as part of David Holder's family, I always said, you know, it's the family business. I've got to get into the family business, and I kind of prodded him and prodded him about it, and he, he, he bided his time. And finally, he asked me to go, and, and I think uh, he was wise in putting me off for so many years. I had some maturing to do, uh, but I am, I am incredibly thankful to be a part of this work, incredibly thankful for this church that has supported this work for so long, and just eager to tell you about um, just the work that we're continuing to do. A lot of the work that we did, um, it's just a continuation of what Randy and, and David have been doing for 20 years. In fact, there, there wasn't hardly a place that I went where people didn't know who David and Randy were and didn't have a lot of respect for them and their efforts in the gospel. And so I'm grateful to be walking in a legacy such as that, but I'm also uh, more importantly grateful to be walking in the legacy of the gospel because these men have established a foundation there in Ethiopia that, that is not about what we're giving to them other than the gospel. And really, the message, the thought that we took with us everywhere we went in Ethiopia, what was the thought that Paul gave to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he said, when I came to you, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Now, that doesn't mean we go and we're thoughtless of the needs of the people. As you'll see, one of the things that we do with this work is we invest in the lives of people and we invest in how they're living. But the most important thing, the thing that takes us 8,000 miles to the other side of the world, that gives us fellowship with people who are a different color than us, a different race, a different culture, so many different things, is the fact that we have hope in Jesus. Christ. And it is a powerful, powerful witness to the message of the gospel. And it's a powerful reminder to each one of us who wears the name of Christian what it is that sets us apart from the rest of the world, what it is that draws us together in a place like this, what it is that connects us with people all the way around this world. It's nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died, he was buried, and he was raised for our sins, for our hope to give us life and purpose now and forever. And what an awesome thing it is to share that with one another 
and to share that with people around the world. So I want you to have that thought in mind as I, as I talk to you a little bit about our work here, the gospel work in Ethiopia. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with the work in Ethiopia, let me give you a little bit of geographical context of where uh, we were there. You can see on the map behind me here, I started my trip at Dallas-Fort Worth at the airport. I took a long 14-and-a-half-hour flight. There we go. Over to Doha, Guitar, Qatar. Still can't say that properly. Uh, if you're a football fan or a soccer fan, that's where the World Cup was played this year, Doha, Qatar. And then we took a little shorter flight, four hours down to Addis Ababa, uh, Ethiopia. That's the capital. As you can see here, I'll, I'll blow this up a little bit. So you can see Ethiopia is in the horn, what's called the Horn of Africa, for obvious reasons. It's shaped a little bit like a, like a horn. But one of the greatest challenges that Ethiopia faces is that it's landlocked, which means they're, they're not able to get imports as easily. They're, they have to deal with some of the you know, political red tape to get the things that they need, and uh, among other things. But um, as a result, they're, they're still very much a developing country. They're a third world country. They, they lack a lot of the resources and the things that we just take for granted here in the United States. Uh, let me blow this up a little bit so you can see a little bit of the topography of Ethiopia. As you can see, it's a very green, a very lush country. They rely very heavily on what they grow. And uh, what they grow there is pretty awesome. They grow a lot of coffee. I drank a lot of coffee while I was there. In fact, if you read my blog, you know we drink, over there in Ethiopia, they drink coffee after every single meal. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. They're drinking coffee after the meal, and they have just made it, and it is awesome. Um, that's the only place in the world where I will drink black coffee, but that's probably because it was just grown in the back and it's fresh. Um, but, that, but it's a very lush country, especially to the south where we went on this trip. We went down to a region called Hosanna. That's the big uh, city in the region where we worked. And uh, Hosanna is actually in kind of a mountainous region. From there we went out and we, we uh, worked out in these villages that were from the Hosanna region. But, but many of the villages in uh, Ethiopia, they're very spread apart. Uh, they're very far apart from each other. In fact, um, from Addis to Hosanna, um, it's about 140 miles. And so to kind of give you a point of reference, let's see, I wrote down something here. Uh, for, for those of you who live here in Fort Worth, from, yeah, that's about from here to, to Tyler, to Tyler, Texas. So Addis to Hosanna is about 140 miles. Usually takes us about three, four hours in a car to get there. But because of the road systems over there, uh, the lack of infrastructure, I might say, um, it took us about six hours to get from Addis to Hosanna. And then as you just go out into those villages, uh, the roadways become much more difficult to travel. I'll have more to say about that here more in just a moment. But I just say all that to say people are very spread out, a lot more spread out. There's not as much access to resources and communication as we have here. Just a very different world. And, and because of that, the people live very differently out there in the countryside. I'll have some more pictures of that in just a moment, but let me, let me just talk for a moment about the nature of this work before I start showing you some pictures about the work that we did this go-round. Um, as David mentioned, this work has been going on for quite some time. I didn't get the, the exact details, but since the 70s, uh, there's been gospel work going on out in Ethiopia, going out into these villages. In fact, there's some local men um, who have been working diligently um, to, to spread the gospel out in the countryside, but most, much, of, much of the work that I did um, is the result, uh, again, of what David and Randy have done. I believe David told me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, when he first started going and working in these regions, there was about 30-something churches. Is that right? There was 50 churches, okay? And now, in the present day, how many churches are there? 
There's about 350. And so the, the work that they have done has significantly increased the, the, the spread of the gospel and, and the amount of churches. And so the work that, that we did really plugged into a lot of that work out in the countryside, meeting with these churches, encouraging these people. But, but even though there are many, many more churches than there were when this work still uh, first started, uh, the climate in which all this is happening... Uh, is not what you would expect. In fact, the best way that I could describe the church climate there is like uh, what I imagine the first century would look like. When Paul was going into the world on his missionary trips and establishing these churches, you know, he would go and he would teach people the gospel and he would set up these churches and then he would he would leave, you know, and he would keep doing that. But then he would circle back around and, and he'd have to teach them again and encourage them to stay faithful to this because they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the manpower to, to continue to do that for themselves. And I feel like in a lot of ways that's what this work is like. We are, we are circling back. Now, there are some really good established men in these established churches that, that make this work a lot easier. But a lot of our work is going back and encouraging these countryside village people uh, that this work of faith, that this walk of faith is, is actually worth it and that there's a lot more substance to it than they could ever imagine. And so it's, it's a very different dynamic than what we experience here, especially with the amount of information that we are exposed to when it comes to faith and to Christianity. Um, now, having said all that, many people um, in Ethiopia, they are familiar with Christianity. They're familiar with Jesus uh, because there are some big uh, denominational groups there. The Orthodox Church is very big in Ethiopia. Uh, the Orthodox Church is a lot like what Catholicism is here. It's very uh, cultural. It's very uh, family-driven. Um, it's passed down from generation to generation. In fact, um, while we were there, um, they celebrated Christmas and uh, Epiphany. And Epiphany is the, the celebration of Jesus' baptism. Um, and in the, in the towns that we went in, they had decorated the towns to celebrate these. So it's, it's, it's a cultural thing there. Um, to celebrate this because the Orthodox Church is so, is so big. Um, but also th- there's another dynamic of the prosperity gospel that's being taught there. Um, I-, I observed, you know, the people in, in Ethiopia, they are very poor. And they, they know, they are very aware of how poor they are. And, uh, and for that reason, many of them are looking for ways to improve their life circumstances. And, um, and unfortunately, there's a, a large movement of men men who call themselves prophets who are working and operating in Ethiopia who tend to take advantage of people and offer them a better life now by following them and giving their money to them and things like that. And I only want to share these dynamics with you just to let you know or to make you aware that the, the, uh, there's awareness of Jesus, there's awareness of the Bible, but, but there are some competing ideas and there's some challenges and some deconstructing that we have to do as we teach people um, about the true faith. Um, there, there's often some confusion about, well, what is faith actually about? Um, because people, people aren't really aware. But having said all of that, there, at this point in the work, there are some very well-established churches. There are some well-established men who, who are diligent workers. I'll tell you, one of the most impressive things about the Ethiopian uh, Christians is they are evangelistic people. Listen, we could take a lesson from them because I tell you, when they come to know the gospel, they want to tell everyone about it. And it is amazing and it is infectious. And some of it has to do with their culture. Ethiopians don't often meet strangers. In fact, they'll just talk to anybody and everybody. But, but the other part is they, they, they understand 
the power of the gospel to change their heart and to change their life. And so I'm really impre- I was really impressed by that. I want to introduce you just to, to several of the men. I'll do that here in just a second. Uh, let me first do this since it's on my PowerPoint. I want to talk about some of the challenges that we have in our work. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here. It's what happens when you get off script. Um, there are some significant challenges that we face other than the, the current religious climate there that affected our work. And that, that first one you can see is low adult literacy. I did some research and I found that adult literacy in Ethiopia is about 50%. Now that's on the rise right now because uh, more and more of the younger generation are getting educated But essentially what that means is you have a large chunk of the population that can't read. And so if you give them a Bible, they can't even read it. And so teaching them the gospel, a lot of it is very oral. And um, and that just makes makes it difficult to do the work that we do because, you know, we live in a culture uh, where most people can read. And, you know, I feel very strongly about what Romans says. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, and it's hard to have faith if you can't hear the Word of God. And so there's some challenges there in transmitting the gospel to them, some things that we're working on. Also, you can see uh, there's a lack of Bibles. There's a lack of other materials. I discovered while I was there Um, Because I felt so strongly about getting everyone Bibles, I said, let's just, every town we go to, let's buy Bibles. And they said, well, we can't exactly do that because Addis, the capital city, is really the only place you can buy Bibles. And so what that means for people out in the Hosanna region who are six hours away where we're working, it's incredibly difficult for them to get their hands on the Word of God. Now you can see how that would pose a challenge for these churches as they're trying to develop and mature and grow. People just don't have access to the things that they need. And furthermore... Uh, they don't have the technology where people can just get on Google. And, and, I mean, technology is there. A lot of people have smartphones. But, but finding information out about the Bible, about the Scriptures, getting study materials in their own language is very difficult. In fact, one of the other things that was really shocking to me is that in Ethiopia, uh, there are a number of different languages. So they have a generic language. The general language of the country is Amharic. And most people in the city speak that. And, but the farther away you get from Addis, the fewer people speak that, and, and people have their own languages. And, and when I say they have their own languages, I'm not talking about a different dialect. It's not like a person from Texas versus a person from New York, right? We've got the same language. It sounds a little bit different, but it's the same language. No, these people have two completely... Well, they have many completely different languages. In fact, I, I've read somewhere there's 94 different languages in Ethiopia. And so you can imagine as we're going into these different villages, not only do we have to translate from English, but we have to figure out what the local language is. And I think for that reason, we've kind of focused our attention in two very specific regions where we have translators, where we're familiar with the language. But getting resources in these languages is difficult. And so again, those pose some pretty significant challenges for people as they're trying to grow and as the church is trying to grow. And finally, I just want to make a mention about the developing infrastructure and communication. As you would expect in a third world country, they don't have access to to Google, to YouTube, to be able to hear preachers. They don't have access to be able to uh, interact with one another in the ways that we do. And so that makes it more difficult. And then on top of that, getting from place to place is just very, very uh, challenging. Um, in fact, that's probably the most challenging part of the work that we do is we have to spend three, four, five hours a day in a car getting to where they are because the roads are, are 
difficult. And, uh, and I want to just show you, if you've been at Casterbury for any number of years, you've seen some of these pictures from David. But this, this is a typical road in, uh, in one of the countries or in one of the cities. And now they do have some paved roads. There are some places where the roads are really good. And it is, according to David, improved a lot since he started going. But um, for the most part, this is what we're running into. And so as we're trying to travel, you can imagine how that would significantly delay how quickly we can get from place to place and why people don't travel as much as they do. In fact, I've got a video here. Uh, well, you can see this one. This has a lot of the potholes. and This is one of the paved roads. This was actually one of the better roads that we went on. So, so getting down this road, you end up kind of weaving from, from side to side. If you get car sick, this is not the kind of trip for you because we're dodging not just potholes, but we're dodging other cars that are doing the same thing and animals and people. It's, it's a pretty uh, unique experience. I've got a video here just to show you. This is one of the better countryside roads that we were on. Uh, but you, you'll, you'll notice how we'll, we'll switch over to the left side, which we're supposed to be on the right side. You've got uh, another bus coming at us head on. Uh, here in just a minute, you're going to see a donkey and a guy chasing his donkey across the road. None of this is uncommon. In fact, this is pretty tame um, for what we experienced. But these, these challenges make it very, very difficult for us to do our work. It's not just a matter of driving down the street and talking to people about the gospel. We have to, to travel very difficult ways, often for long periods of time, to get to them. But I tell you what, when we get there, it's worth it. And they appreciate it when we get to them. And so, again, despite all the challenges, one of the, the greatest things we have working for us is that there are great men who are workers in the kingdom, who care about the gospel, who care about people, and who want to take, it to take the gospel to them, and who have partnered with us. I want to introduce you to just three of them that I worked with on my trip, and a couple of these men you'll, you'll recognize from past things um, that David has presented. This is Mesfin. He was my primary translator throughout all of my time. Um, he's a native uh, of a village called Losho, which is in the Hosanna region. So he was incredibly valuable to us on this trip because he speaks the local language. He knows a lot of the people. He knows how to connect to them. And, uh, and Mesfin, I, I think he told me he speaks four different languages. And so you can imagine he's pretty valuable to us. But, but he's a hard worker. He's got a lot of zeal, a lot of fire. He, he's a man after my own heart. Uh, he, just, he wants to speak to the hearts of people. And, and that really came through, especially in his translating. I think David has said this before, but Mesfin often makes our sermons better <laughs> as he is translating them. But he works together with, with a man named Zarahun, I'll introduce him in just a second, to, to organize these different programs that we will have during the countryside. We also had a man named Tishala who, who traveled with us as a translator. Tishala is a full-time preacher at a church called Darame, which is uh, farther south of Hosanna. Um, he is a very deliberate man. It was really interesting to me to see uh, the, the different personalities in our translators because in my mind, you know, I just thought I'm going to speak and they're going to say what I say, but they have very different styles of translating that, that have to do with their own personality. But, but he, often, he and I would often um, sit at the table by ourselves during dinner and, and we would talk about his, his determination to... Um, and how he translated and, and uh, his convictions about how he translated and how seriously he took that. Because he told me, he said, I realize I'm not speaking my words, I'm speaking your words. And you're trying to communicate the words of God to people and that's important to me. And that was really meaningful to me, that he would, he would say those kinds of things to me. So Tashala traveled with us during the countryside. 
And then Zarahun, he was, he was only with me for part of the trip this time, but, but Zarahun is really, uh, not to overstate it, he's probably the linchpin in all of this work. He's, a, he's an incredibly diligent worker. He cares about the people in the countryside. He organizes so many things to, to help the church grow and develop, and he's just got such an, uh, a focused kingdom mentality, and he is thoughtful and deliberate, and, and I am just so grateful for him. Um, in the way that he has supported the work and he supported me. Um, consequently, it was an interesting dynamic shift. Last time I went to Ethiopia, I had David with me. And so, you know, they, they, David is older than most of these men, and so obviously they treated him with, with that respect and that dynamic. Well, this go-round, we didn't have the older folks with us, and so we were the boys, as they so uh, lovingly like to call us. And so they still treated us with, with, the res- with respect, but they treated us as spiritual fathers, and they gave us a lot of really good counsel. In fact, I had some really good conversations with these men about what the work of the gospel looks like, and I, I thought that was very profound. Because again, here I am coming to teach, but they're the ones that did a lot of teaching for me, and I appreciated how they took seriously their responsibility to me as I had a responsibility to them. So these were the three men I spent the most time with. There's a number of others that I could share with you, and I probably will in future uh, reports that I give to you, hopefully. But, but these are the men I had with me most of the time. So let me just talk briefly about our strategy um, that we had as we went out into the countryside. Um, there, we really had two primary focuses. We wanted to go out and we wanted to see these churches and we wanted to encourage them. We wanted to be with the people. We wanted to worship with the people. We wanted to just engage them where they are and and remind them of how important faith was. And so that was really the first week of our trip with a little bit of overlap into the second week. And then the second week, um, we, did, we took a more focused approach. We stayed put. We had everyone come to us. We wanted to equip the preachers. We wanted to equip the next generation um, we just wanted to answer their questions and get deeper into the Word with them. And so I'll have more to say about that in a minute. But this was kind of our, our strategy. We did this last time when I went with David. And this is what they did after I left. They repeated this process in a different region. And so what, what I want to do um, now, instead of kind of taking you chronologically through my trip, I want to tell you just generically what, what our countryside work looked like as we went out into these villages. Because we had a pretty similar pattern and what we did. So we traveled south to Hosano. That was our home base. And every day we would get in a car and we would start our day with a car ride. Uh, we'd, we'd pile into this, uh, this Land Cruiser, which I got a picture of it right here. This was Elias' Land Cruiser. Elias is the guy on the, the left. Um, there's me and Mesfin in the back, and there's Smiling Ryan over there on the right. He was always so happy to be in the car. He was always happy when he got in the front seat because he didn't have to be all cooped up. You know, The Ethiopians, they don't have any real sense of personal space. So if you sat in the back, you had somebody basically loving on you the whole time. Um, and, I, and I mean that in the most sincere way possible. You know, one of the things I appreciated about this culture, they're, they're a very touchy culture. Like, you know, you're walking down the street and the guys just want to hold your hands and it's really awkward at first, but you come to appreciate when they accept you, when they love you, they want to be with you. And they, they just, they touch you and that's what they do in their culture. And uh, that's not for everybody. I got that. But we grew to really appreciate that we were accepted by them because they wanted to be with us. And they, they just... That's why I've been hugging everybody since I've been back. And so I'm, I'm sorry if it's still it rubbed off on me. So anyways, every day started with the car ride. We would go out into these countryside villages. 
And uh, the views were amazing, uh, especially in Hosanna. Uh, we're in the mountains. Again, the roads were rough, but, but what I liked about these drives, they were often uh, two to three hour drives to these villages. We really got to see and, and consider where these people live and how they live. Um, again, it's a very different dynamic, and, and I've really wrestled. I, I wish that I could capture for you what it's like to see people that live like they do, that, that are washing their clothes in a creek next to where they're watering their cows. Um, you know, to, to this, they're making wheat and, and they're just the time that it takes to, to gather all this up. And, and I mean, this is their life. You know, we take for granted so many things that we just go to the store and we buy. And yet these people, yeah, that guy liked being on camera. We kept saying, you know, move out of the way. Hey, but, but you know, so many things we take for granted. Um, this is their life, and this is just one part of the process. But seeing how they live is such an important part of this work because it reminds us that they're different than us, uh, but, but they're also much more reliant on, on God, much more reliant on what he has to offer. And, uh, and so it's, it's powerful just being in those situations. And I, I, I don't think that I can fully capture that in pictures, but some of these things you can see, uh, all the things you would expect from a third world country, and yet these people, they still live with joy. They're hard workers, and they appreciate life for what it is. So we got to observe those things on our drives out to these countryside villages. Uh, when we arrived at the countryside villages, we were often met with an outdoor venue. They would set up these large tents, and, and people would come from all over. The way that it would typically work, there would be a local church um, in that place. So this is Jukura, for instance. The local church would meet here, and they would invite churches from other areas. And uh, obviously, since we're the only white people that you notice or that you don't notice in that picture, we draw a lot of attention whenever we come into the villages. And so people will just continue to filter in. They want to see what's going on. They want to hear the message. And obviously, that's a lot of what we're trying to do out in the countryside as we're encouraging the preachers. We, we want to encourage the village as well, the village people, to, to learn about this faith and to see that someone has traveled a really long way to share with them a message. You know, we make it a point to, to, to tell them, you know, we're here to give you the gospel. We're not here to hand out stuff. We're here to give you the gospel, something that will change your life. And people are really touched by that. So when we show up, there, there's usually a, a crowd full of people either outside. Sometimes we meet inside. This is a, the church building at Losho. This is where Mesfin um, grew up. But, but regardless of where we are, there's usually a packed house full of people. And it, it's really uh, incredible and intimidating um, because... Whenever you come into this place, they put us up at the very front. That, that's how it works. They put the speakers at the very front, and so we're, we're facing everyone. Um, and it, it's a pretty amazing experience. Um, so once we get there and everyone kind of gets settled, the, the program usually starts with some singing, and I've got a video here of some singing. <laughs> And they use 
eventually end up having to bring more pools in because again people are just still filtering and people are coming to these things they're walking for long periods of time and so they get there when they get there and they come and we're just happy to have them there and they're they're glad to be there but by the end of this one we had people completely surrounding us there were so many people there You can tell it's a very different dynamic than maybe what we're used to. Um, they, they do a lot of call and response. One of the things I appreciate about their worship is how interactive they are with one another. You know, they, they really take the speaking to one another uh, very seriously, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, they, they did um, some other different variations on that where, where someone would, would stand up and they would sing and, and speak different lines and then they would, they would repeat things like, yes, God is merciful and yes, we trust in Him. And then they would, the, the leader would speak some more. But, but it's very fascinating and very impactful the way that they sing. I always appreciated that. So after, after some singing, some, some people would get up, give some admonitions, and then we would start our teaching. As you can see, one of us would stand up there, and we'd have a translator beside us. Usually it was just one, but again, sometimes we had two translators, which can be a challenge at times, but, uh, but you find a way to make it work. Um, one of the things I really appreciated about uh, Ethiopia is uh, they, they put the children at the front. They, they sit on these, these branches and they sit on leaves and they're right here at the front. And, and you can just see they, they, are, they are eager. They are hungry uh, to hear what we have to say. In fact, I've, I've got a video here of me teaching them and I just want you to see, I'm really thankful Ryan also, took this. Uh, just look at their faces. I'll zoom in here in just a minute. These people didn't like Jesus. They wanted him to stop teaching. But Jesus would not stop. He would help. I was really impressed with, with wherever we went. The people brought their children, and you can tell they made an effort to have their children there. And so that was really powerful and moving to me. And the, the thought, you know, of what Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. I think I learned such a powerful lesson watching them learn and watching them want to be there. Um, an important lesson for all of us. Children are not just the future of our church. They are a lesson for us about what it means to come simply and humbly to follow Jesus. So they were everywhere that we went. Um, Ryan and I would alternate teaching. So I, sometimes I would teach first. Other times Ryan would teach first. In the countryside before Ryan, or, uh, Randy got there, we got to teach a lot more. And, then, uh, and so we would teach. And sometimes Mesfin would just go off and start teaching. And we would just kind of step back and be like, all right, Mesfin's going to do his teaching now. I, I often made a joke with Mesfin. Um, he, he had a very strong conviction about 
whatever he communicates, it needed to touch the hearts of the people. And I said, hey, I'm 100% with you. I agree, whatever that means. But there would be times I'd say about this much, and I'd say, Mess, you say about this much, and that's for us. And this, this, to me, was the most humbling part of the trip. Because here I am, a 35-year-old, going and doing my best to share with them the gospel, and just being so uh, appreciated uh, by these people. Um, for having taught them the gospel, talked to them about the word of God. And they often, you know, said things like, you know, blessings for you, blessings for your family, blessings for your work. Uh, it, it, was, it was different uh, because in our culture, I don't really feel like we talk that way to, to other people, to one another. And so it was very impactful as I just thought about what they were trying to say. You know, they, they, they were praying and asking and giving blessings to me for the work that I was doing by the hand of God, and, and it was very humbling, and I really appreciated um, this part of the service because, again, you could tell they, they weren't just there to hear. They were there to have fellowship with us. They were here to be changed by the gospel, and they, they certainly were. So after every countryside program, that's really when we got to spend time with the people. And that, that's what we came there for. We were often escorted into someone's home. This, is, for instance, was a, one of the huts that we were uh, ushered into. They're very dimly lit. They don't have any electricity in there usually. And so um, you're sitting around in the dark. Again, us white people were very bright in the dark. And so uh, we often are the light as the light's reflecting off of us. And we would sit down and we would have a meal um, with the preachers and some of the local folks. Um, my meals were, were often very simple. I have a, a how do you say it, a sensitive stomach? And so I, I often requested that I not eat the, the local food. A lot of the local food was very spicy. Um, Ryan was braver than I was, and Randy, he's just crazy, so he eats whatever he wants. Um, I told them, I said, I can try your food that you want me to try, or I can preach tomorrow. What do you want from me? And so I often ended up just uh, eating what you see here. I ate a lot of boiled eggs, a lot of pasta. Uh, thankfully, David and Randy have been going long enough. They've established the precedent that we're probably not going to eat your, your spicy local Ethiopian food. And so they prepared. They always had something prepared for us, and I was thankful. Ate a lot of eggs, a lot of pasta, a lot of avocados that they grow locally, uh, a lot of mangoes, false bananas, and, of course, sodas. Uh, they, they brought us Sprites and orange drinks and all those things because we can't drink the water. And so that was always good. But this was always just a good time to see how they... They live, how they interact. Uh, Mealtime is very special to them. It's a time to share. Um, as you can see here, what's interesting, they often shared one plate. Now, they gave us our own plates, but they often had a one big plate that they all shared from. And uh, what you see here, uh, see, this is what's called injera, uh, which means bread, but it, it's a local... Uh, it's a different type of bread. It's made out of something called teff, which is a lot like wheat. But they, they use that as utensils. They, they grab it in their hand and they use it to scoop up the food and put it in their mouth, which no big deal. But then they scoop it up and they feed it to each other. It's a way of uh, communing together. Um, I often got food shoved in my face, to which I said, uh, mm, don't, sorry, I don't eat the food. But uh, I, I under, again, they're, they're very much, they want to share with one another. It's part of their culture. It's ingrained in the, in the way that they live. And I tell you, it, it impacted me because seeing how, how much they, they wanted to interact and share with one another, it's important. It's important. Maybe we don't have to share food with one another, but I think the mentality there is very powerful. But then after we had our meal, that was really the time we spent with the people. We would get out and uh, we would take pictures with the kids. 
Uh, Ryan and I, since we were both dads with kids, we, we, had a, we have a heart for those things. Uh, we, would, we would get down and take selfies with them. You see this, this little kid over here, he, just, he was having the time of his life with Ryan. They were just best buds. Um, Ryan warmed up to him a little faster than I did. It, it was a little awkward when you walk out of this hut and you've got about 50 kids that come in and just like, you know, swarm you all at once. But it's just because they want to be with you. They want to get to know you. And, and, and for me, like the language barrier was awkward. But here's Ryan just squatting down, making faces at him, just interacting however he could. And I was like, I guess that's what we're going to do. And it was great. It was great because, you know, there's more than one way to build relationships. And sometimes it has to be through sticking your tongue out at little kids. Um, but, but the people there... Again, more than anything, they just wanted to spend time with us, and we wanted them to know that they were important and they were valuable. We hugged everybody. Uh, we loved on everybody. It, it was just it was important time for us. I would say almost as important as the time we spent teaching them because this is when we got to see them face-to-face and really get to see them for who they are. And they often said, said things like, uh, we're glad you're here in broken English or... Um, you know, just thank you so much. And, and those things sound so cliche and trite, but they, they meant it from their heart. Um, because in their mind, they couldn't fathom why someone would come 8,000 miles around the world to come be with them. You know, it's, it was just so powerful. And many of these people have never been more than, you know, 100 miles from their home in their life. And so it's, it's, it's a very two-way street, the way that, that fellowship is intended to be. You know, we benefit from them and they benefit from us. And there were lots of selfies taken because the children would often walk up to us and say, picture, picture. And so we'd say, okay, we'll take a picture. And then afterwards they'd say, chocolate, chocolate. And so, you know, they got the important stuff down. They got the important stuff down. So we spent a lot of time doing things like this and just being with them. Now mixed into our countryside work, um, we had a couple of Sundays. And on Sundays we make a a concerted effort to go be with the local churches. And so you can see here, uh, Ryan went to Bushluga on Sunday. Um, I split up and I went to a place called Conco, which if you read my blog, Conco was an adventure getting to. We got dropped off on the side of the road and I had to walk down this little path. And I kept saying, you know, where's the church building? And all of a sudden we take this turn and there's this giant hill. And we had to walk uphill about a quarter mile to get to that church building. And um, my, my smartwatch thought I, was do- thought I was doing a workout. It started recording a workout. You know, it said, are you doing okay? You need some water. But, um, but again, when we got there, one of the most powerful things that they said was, you know, most people don't come here because it's difficult to get here. And we're glad that you made the effort to be here with us. And so, again, that, that was our whole goal, was to encourage people to let them know you are worth our time. You are worth us being with you. So after we did our countryside work, that was about five days of work for us on the front end. We would do it a little more on the, on the back end. We, we shifted our focus a little more to these focus groups. Um, and this is where I believe the, the most good was done in our work, at least the most efficient work. Uh, we invited about 100 preachers from the countryside areas to come in and about 50 uh, young people, leading young people, excuse me, to come in. And, uh, and we spent this time, we spent three days with them of just focused Bible study, question and answer, and um, just getting to know what their needs were in the work. So um, it was at this point that Randy finally showed up in the work. If you read about his little mishaps with travel, uh, it took Randy a while to get uh, caught up with us. And so Randy taught the preachers here um, from the book of Isaiah. That was something that they had requested 
to study. And that's something, I believe that y'all have done this for quite some time now, and usually these sessions are based around things that they have asked for to study. Um, and so they studied, I believe, I believe it was the whole book of, of Isaiah. Randy taught them. And then Ryan and I were in the other room with these young people. And um, I, I don't know that if I can adequately describe to you um, how awesome the three days I had with them were. Uh, this group of men right here that you see uh, behind me, um, many of them are, are not full-time preachers. Many of them are government workers, have full-time jobs. They had to take off three days, probably more than that, so that they could travel there um, to be at this Bible study, meaning they, they lost much-needed money, but it was worth it to them. And these are people who are already leader, leaders in their church, but who are eager to spread the gospel, to tell their friends about the gospel, to be involved in the growth of the church, to evangelize. And, um, and just the spirit that was in that room was, was amazing. In fact, I've got a picture here for you. of uh, After we got done you know, with our sessions, we would always pray, and they would get down on the floor on their hands and knees. Just the, the spirit of reverence, the spirit of humility, uh, the spirit of togetherness as we did these things, it, it was powerful and, and uh, very instructive about what, what faith looks like in practice. So I appreciated this. This was the same as we got together with the preachers. Um, but these young people, I, I especially enjoyed my time with them because the, the young people that were invited, again, these are people that are already involved and invested in the work of the church, but these are the people that... One, hopefully I'm going to be working with as I continue this work in the future. But, but these are the people, this is the next generation sharing their faith. And these people, we, we got together with them. They didn't want to just talk about what we were going to do for them. They came to us and they said, we have ideas. And we have things that we need your help to accomplish. And we want to share with you in that. And that was very powerful uh, to me. Uh, we spent a lot of time with, with this group of people over a lot of coffee. Again, we're drinking lots of coffee. We're in Ethiopia, a lot of macchiatos. And in fact, I drank a couple extra macchiatos for David Holder's sake because I know he loves macchiatos. I got a double most of the time too, so one for me, one for you. Um, but we spent a lot of time just talking about how can we most effectively benefit the church here. And they wanted to know what they could do for us. In fact, one of these guys uh, said to us, you know what, look, I can get together a thousand people if we can do this next year. And I was like, deal, let's do that. Uh, they're just, they're so eager and they want to spread the gospel. It's, it's encouraging. It's encouraging. And the time that we spent with them, you know, Ryan and I, we're, we're a little bit older than them, but, but these in a lot of ways were our peers and the people that we hope to be working with in the future. And as you can see, we just, we spent time loving on each other. It, it was great. Um, and they helped us to understand what fellowship looks like and the joy of being together and the joy of being joined together in the gospel because we did a lot of instructing, but, you know, we asked them a lot of questions and they asked us a lot of questions and we looked into God's Word and we helped each other. And uh, it, it was a great three days. I, I could have done that for another two weeks if we'd have had time for it. But it was very beneficial. After we finished that, um, we, we concluded, our, or I concluded my part of the trip. We, we all went back to to add us together. You can see there's Mesfin, Randy, Ryan, myself, and Zarahun. One of the few times we were all together, we hopped in the car and went back to Addis. Um, Ryan and 
uh, Randy and, and Mesfin all continued on to do some more countryside work. But I went back to Addis to meet up with Jordan. Wanted to make sure I got a picture of here uh, in here of Jordan, since most of y'all know him. Um, he actually surprised me. If you read, if you read my blog, you know he, he woke me up. Uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning, he, he arrived a little bit early from his flight, said, housekeeping, and, uh, and I was like, what crazy person is cleaning my room that early? But it was Jordan. Um, but we got to spend about three days together, overlapped there in Addis. Um, I, I have to share with you all something that was just very powerful to me. Uh, most of you all know, or many of you all know, Jordan and I grew up together, and uh, we spent a lot of time reflecting on, um, on our past lives, our past selves, um, growing up together, he and I didn't always get along, and we didn't always see things eye to eye. And in fact, as we were talking about this, one of the comments was made, never in a million years would I have ever imagined doing uh, kingdom work together with Jordan, or even having you know, civil conversations with him for that matter. But, but here we are, on the other side of the world, 8,000 miles from home, doing kingdom work together, and, and we just... To me, that's such a powerful witness of the gospel because not only does it change who we are, it changes who we do it with and the kind of spirit that we have towards one another. And so I really appreciated the time I got to spend uh, with Jordan teaching. We, we didn't have anything officially scheduled, but we asked them if we could spend some time and go to different places teaching together. And so we, we went together uh, to this man, Wubachet's house. Wubachet is um, a gospel preacher, or he was a gospel preacher. He's been suffering with kidney failure for some time now, and he's not been able to do that. And so a number of the gospel preachers had gotten together to go and encourage Wubachet. In fact, I've got a picture of Wubachet here and his wife. Um, but that was a powerful moment for me because we came there and we did our teaching, but we also got to see these men, these men of faith in action as they were praying for this man, as they were encouraging this man, as they were taking time out of their Monday or Saturday, it was Saturday, to go be with this man um, and encourage him in his faith during this very difficult time. You know, it's, it's important, I think. It was important for me to see that the way that they go about their faith is the same way we need to be going about our faith, being involved and invested in one another's lives, just seeing to each other's needs and being there and praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens and worshiping together with one another in real life. And that, that was a, a very powerful moment for me and for Jordan. And then the next day, Jordan and I, it was a Sunday, uh, we went to a, a church called Bereyu, which is on the east side of, uh, of Addis. We worked with the church there. It's one of the bigger churches in Addis, about 100 people there. They had just built a new building that they were very eager to show us, and they were also very eager to show us that they were building a new, they had a new development in progress for the children, specifically for the children, so that the kids could have, you know, some classes and be instructed over there. And then on Monday, um, we met with the church at Sephora. That's where Mesfin preaches. This was kind of a last-minute get-together. But, but one of the things, Jordan and I were like, listen, we're here to teach. Get us people, and we'll teach them. You know, we'll be together with them. So we met with about 20 people at Sephora. This was actually the first time that, that um, all of the Americans were in one place. Jordan and I were, were teaching, and Ryan and Randy showed up, and everything stopped, and there were lots of hugs, and there were lots of kisses from the Ethiopians. And not us, by the way. Um, but we all were together for the first time, the three bald white guys we called ourselves. Um, kind of ironic how that happened. But that was a really uh, fun, powerful moment to be together. And then we had one more day together 
uh, where we went and we taught at the church at Kotubi. We taught a bunch of preachers. Uh, this is the church where Zarahoon works. And so we just had some admonitions for there, shared some coffee with them, and, uh, and prayed together with them. And then that was where I wrapped up my work. That, that evening I spent having some macchiatos with these guys, reflecting on the work that we had done together. Uh, these three men would go uh, head back south to the Owasa region and repeat the process that we had just done. And I got on a plane flight, and uh, I came back to the, to the United States, and I was ready to come. Ryan was ready to come too then, by the way. Um, I told him, I'm sorry, you have to stay a little bit longer. But, um, you know, something interesting, if I might go back to this picture for just a minute. Um, all, all the men in this picture were all from Texas, consequently, which I thought was really ironic. Um, we all come from different places. We, we've known each other for quite some time now. Um, but we all realize, you know, it's the gospel and the spirit of the gospel that has brought us together 8,000 miles from home to work and to share in this with the other people, but also to share in it with one another. And so... Um, it's really important, I think, for us to see the power of the gospel in that way to bring people together wherever we are in the world, even if we are from the same state. It brings us together not just in person but in mind. We had such unity and harmony because we were there to teach the gospel. We came deciding to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And in that, we shared together in our work. And so um, just a couple of uh, concluding thoughts from me that, that I'll, I'll just leave you with tonight. Um, I think it was important for me to see, as I reflected on this work, that despite our setbacks, you know, we were delayed a couple days in our traveling. There's always hiccups in the work. But despite the setbacks, we were able to accomplish all the work that we came to do and so much more, and that had nothing to do with us. Uh, there were often times we were, we were tired. <laughs> our minds were not what they should have been. We were, we were travel-weary, um, things were difficult, but when we got there to do the work, God empowered us to do the work that we came to do. You know, we didn't have to worry about that. My body was tired, but my spirit was alive. And, and I think, you know, before I left, someone had reminded me, you know, you're going to do the work of God, and He's going to do what He's going to do. You just trust Him. And I learned that through this trip. When we put ourselves in the positions that God calls us to be in and when we trust Him, we don't have to worry about the results. God handles that. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. And so it doesn't matter about my weakness. It doesn't really matter about my inability. What matters is about my trust, that I trust God. And I tell you folks, I, I went over there in a lot of weakness. I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of... Uh, I was unsure about how this trip was going to go unsure about what I was going to be able to bring to the table, unsure about whether or not I should even be there. And I, I prayed God, to God and I asked Him for confirmation and I asked Him for strength and I asked Him for help. And let me tell you, every turn, every step, God proved to me that He's going to do what He's going to do. I just need to be there. I need to commit to Him. I need to submit to Him. And God works powerfully when we do that, He gives you the words, He gives you the thoughts, He gives you the awareness and the strength and all the things that you need. God will supply those things. It's hard to believe that sometimes, you know, in our, in our culture, in our society. But God does what God is going to do. And despite our limitations, despite our setbacks, we accomplished our goals. But there's still a lot that needs to be done. 
And this is kind of the thoughts I want to leave you with tonight. Um, there, both our team, both here and there, we have clear goals. And we have a plan for the future about the things that we would like to do, how we would like to accomplish these goals. And when my coworkers finally get back, when Ryan finally gets back, uh, we're going to have some, some, some conversations about uh, what action items we're going to do. I think we're going, we have some specific things, translating materials and getting Bibles into the hands of people that are very important to us. But I'll tell you this, uh, more than anything, what this work needs and what those people need is our prayers, our encouragement, so that to create further stability in the church. Because as we pray for them, they're also praying for us. You know, one of the powerful things for me, and maybe this is going to sound pretentious, you know, I thought I was going over there to serve them, but many times they said, you know, we've been praying for you. We've been praying for your work. We've been praying for your church. And that's the beauty of fellowship. That's the beauty of what, how God has designed this. We supply each other's needs. And that's what the church ought to look like. That's what true fellowship ought to look like. And that's something that I want to bring back to the church here in this place in, in America. is As we look at one another, we, we ought to be building one another up and finding ways to use our strength and each other's weaknesses and, and, and magnifying God through those things and allowing those opportunities with one another through transparency and honesty and humility. And there's plenty of those opportunities, but we, we have to, we have to be willing to submit to the Spirit of God to serve one another, to open ourselves up to this, to open our hearts up wide to this. And that can be difficult, that can be awkward sometimes, I understand that. But I tell you, when we allow ourselves to submit to God's pattern and God's plan of fellowship, we grow deeper in our relationships with one another and God's wisdom, God's plan, the gospel becomes that much more clear. And that's the message I really want to leave you with tonight. You know, I went over there with the message of deciding to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And my friends, I would just remind you of the gospel. Because, you know, sometimes I fear, I fear we, we lose, we lose the gospel. Uh, we get caught up in our systems and our practices and uh, sometimes we find ourselves at odds with one another and, and we need to come back to the basics of what has brought us together. You know, the gospel is that when we were hopeless, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God has made us alive together with Christ. And he doesn't just say he's made you alive. He says he's made you alive together with Christ, together with Christ and in his church. And the wisdom of God is on display in the church because people like you and me who really have no reason to be together, no reason to know one another, no reason to be in this place together, and yet because of Jesus, because of what he has done for us, because of our submission to him, we have come together. And it's not because of anything that we have done. It's because of our realization of our need in Christ. And as we submit to Christ, it changes our relationships with one another. We serve and we love people that we shouldn't. The world says we shouldn't love and serve. And we spend time with people that the world says we shouldn't spend time with. The gospel changes us. It changes how we think. It changes how we live. And so I would just encourage you, don't lose sight of the gospel. Sometimes we, we get things backwards. But the fact is, God has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and we all share in that. That is what fellowship truly is about, understanding our place before God and what He has done for us. 
and what he has done to us and what he has brought us into. We are a family in Christ by the mercy and grace of God. What an awesome, awesome thought that we share in together. And so this work that I've talked to you about tonight, this is a witness to God's wisdom in the church. And my hope is that you would be moved to trust more deeply in the gospel and apply it in your life and set your sights on practicing it and believing it and living it. The fact is the gospel calls all of us to deeper conviction and to change. And so I'll just end tonight with a challenge. Maybe you need to change tonight. Maybe the gospel is calling you to do something. Maybe it's calling you to to be more committed. Maybe it's calling you to reconcile with that person that you've not been wanting to reconcile with. The gospel wants to change your heart. It wants to change your mind. It wants to make you more like God. But the gospel is something that brings people together. And so let the gospel change you. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to make some changes in your life. I would encourage you, don't leave here tonight without making those changes in your heart or those changes in your mind. I don't know if I'm supposed to offer an invitation now, but I'm going to do it anyways. If you're here tonight and and you need some encouragement to make those changes in your life, that's part of the reason the body of Christ gets together. We we get together to encourage one another, to to live more faithfully, to, to take this very seriously to engage this walk of faith with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We help one another. Maybe you need need some encouragement to do that tonight. We are here for that reason. And so I'm going to be down here at the front. If you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray, pray with you. I'm here for that. Come and talk to me. While we stand and we'll sing this song of encouragement.